Welcome to the Starvia Podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mueller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is actor Mark Damon Espinosa. I've known him for a long time on social media. I absolutely adore him. He's such an awesome guy. He's best known for his role as Jesse on Beverly Hills 90210, but he has this long-ass resume, bold and the beautiful, NCIS, Criminal Minds. There's just so many, I can't even name them all. So I'm really excited to talk to him, but before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week, kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com dot com slash start me up. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Mark Damon Espinosa. Welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, thanks, Kimberly. It's good. It's good to be here. It's great <laughs> to be here, actually. Yeah. And I mean, I was saying I, I don't even remember if I said in the intro, I do a patrons only show and I talked about you, but you and I have been friends on social media now for like 10 years or more, but we've never met. But Correct. I just Correct. have all kinds of warm fuzzies for you because you're just you seem to be like the sweetest, most awesome man. And we haven't really. Well, int- your, your, your post and, and your <laughs> your uh, insight and observations kept me sane. Oh, what was pretty much an in, an insane time uh, yes. for everyone. I think. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, I was telling you before the show, I for, we first met on Facebook and I'm going to go back. This is probably like 2012 maybe even earlier. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, it's Jesse from 90210. But, um, and I will be asking you some questions about that. I won't make the whole show about 90210. Of course. But, um, Although I'm, I'm more like Jesse's grandpa at this point. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure, <laughs> But it Ask was like, away. I was just, well, I will get to those in a second, but I was so excited <laughs> to be your friend on Facebook and, you know, I would see you post daughters about uh, daughters, post pictures about your daughters. My mind is not working today, yeah. FYI. I'm just about to go on vacation, so I have vacation brain. Um, <laughs> I, love it. I really, I really appreciated and admired the way that you spoke about your daughters, and that you know, do you have? Is it three of them? I, I have three daughters. We we are a modern family scenario, and uh, so uh, they they know their family unit as what it is, and they have been. Uh, they are, well, it was Father's Day on Sunday mm-hmm. and this past Sunday. And, and, uh, I, I never, I never stopped realizing how lucky I am to have them, have them in my life. Um, and they, they could have been three sons. It didn't, didn't right. obviously it doesn't really matter, right. but I, I am constantly amazed at how truly wonderful and extraordinary they are and i feel awful saying that because i used to i i I always would roll my eyes when people you know said oh my my kids are the best kids on the planet (laughs) my kids are the best kids on the planet but they're not perfect right and that's why i love them so much they are they embrace their faults they embrace their uh uh, eccentricities and and they are who they are but they're good people and that was probably our main objective going into this we didn't want we didn't want to try and create you know neurophysicists or, or anything like that you know <laughs> or whatever we we wanted to create a good family and good people and mm-hmm. we we succeeded in that so yeah. i i do brag a lot about them um well, you should when, when, they're, when they're not they're teenage girls so when they're not driving you crazy I brag <laughs> about them. well okay so how old are they now uh well 19 night they just, they're they're basically at the halfway mark 19 17 and 14 wow 
Wow. So yeah. like I when when I first met you online, I mean they were little girls. Now they're oh yeah, turning babies. into women. Yeah. yeah, I can only imagine. Oh, no, they're women. They're grown, yeah. grown, strong. Yeah. Very in- independent-minded uh, young ladies. Absolutely. <laughs> Three of them Absolutely. in the teen years. Oh, my God. <laughs> that well, is a lot. Were, the first two as teenagers were a piece of cake. Really? We're, we're all standing around rolling our eyes going, what? This, <laughs> it can't be this easy because friends of ours were having so much so much trauma. And then the youngest one became a teenager. We went, oh, here it is. Here's the bonus. Oh, okay, teenage years. Here we go. Yay. I was, <laughs> she, I... is, she is amazing. She's Aww. awesome. So we... That's we, we adore her, but boy, she was a teenager. Yeah, I mean, I think I was a pretty okay. I got, she's I got, she's still a teenager. What am I talking about? <laughs> I got into my like little bit of trouble, but overall, I think I was uh-huh. pretty easy. Um, right. But my mom only had one to deal with, so there was just ah, me. All right, so you're an only child. Well, yes, with my mother, but with my father, ah. he has he he remarried, and they have two children. So I have a stepbrother, or I'm sorry, a half brother and a half sister. So right. um, are you yeah. are you older than the two of them? Oh yes, I am. I'm fourteen. Huh. I'm no, like thirteen years older than my brother. Eighteen years older than my sister. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. But I do live wow. near them now because they are in the D.C. area, and you know I grew up in California and, and was there right. for a long time. So this has been the first time that I have lived amongst my family. <laughs> you know, it's like wow. it's a oh, different that's fantastic. Scenario. Yeah. And it's good because it's it's an opportunity for me to spend more time with my dad. And, you know, that's yeah. that's great. So, um, OK, so let's talk about you. And I am going to uh, ask you, I will be asking you about 902 and 0, but I first want to, <laughs> you know, kind of get a feel for your life. I did read a little bit about you, but I'm just going to ask you, like, I don't know any of these answers. So where, did you, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas, which is just outside of Houston, about about an hour Hour and fifteen minutes outside, going east of Houston. It, it's the biggest city between New Orleans and Houston, off of I-10. So it, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of oil business, mm-hmm. a lot of chemical refining, sulfur, paper mills, things like that. It's a very blue-collar area, although it's it is it is a not it is not a tiny town. It, you know, it's a smaller town mentality, but the metropolitan area, because there's some smaller cities that surround it. Make up probably I don't know two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand people. So it's not tea tiny, right? But it felt small growing up because it, it is very blue collar, very uh, union minded uh, environment because of the refineries and and what have you, manufacturing stuff like that. Wow. And so what was it like for you to grow up in Texas? I mean, we hear so much about Texas in the news politically, right. and so it's very know. it's it's so different now than when, when it was growing up. And I mean. I could talk about this ad nauseum because it's it is it's something that it's it's very frustrating to yeah. me now. I grew up in Beaumont, Texas. With and at the time, we were the only. We moved to the neighborhood where I grew up mm-hmm. when I was about four, almost five years old, where we were the only Latin family, Latino family for for many many years. I hmm. got 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. I forget. And there was a very small group of, of uh, basically Mexican-American students that were that went I went to school with, most everyone was black and white. It was mm-hmm. a very black and white tension-filled yeah. environment. We were embraced pretty early on, primarily because we were assimilated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I was very well, I was very aware of racial tensions growing up. Yeah. And, but aside from that, it was very much a live and let live 
environment. It, it kind of because there was it was a cross cultural. It was, it was there's so many cultures involved in Beaumont. It's not the old South. It's not um, it's not like Mississippi or Alabama or even you know Dallas was kind of the old South to me. Beaumont because of the Cajun influence and because of the industry, because of everything else. There were a lot of different kinds of people there. There was a mass migration of um, uh, Vietnamese uh, after you know the Vietnam in, in and around the Vietnam War, so there were a lot of Asian students I grew up knowing, and it was a very, it was much more live and let live mm-hmm. situation in my mind than, than what what it feels like going back to Texas. Beaumont is still Beaumont, mm-hmm. and I and I, I I have a soft spot for it. I couldn't wait to get get the hell out of there, but <laughs> I still I still go back. I still have friends there, and I'm and I'm. I'm proud to be from there. I can't say that I agree with the politics and the swing in it at mm-hmm. all, but um, my memories of there, of growing up there, were very much live and let live, which extended to the rest of Texas. You know, yeah, it it is not that way anymore. Right. And even some of your larger cities, it is so the polarization is. I think from Bush on, after mm-hmm. Ann Richards. Um, and I and I blame the rise of the mega churches, frankly, for for a lot of it. Yeah. Which was a which was something that was happening late '80s, early '90s. That's when I really started feeling a shift in Texas. I think when it became a more of a team sport to be on either side of a political party. Yeah, that's. Oops. One second. <laughs> there, there's. A... Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, my phone fell off the uh, off the off the stand here. No um, worries. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I again I could talk about it forever. Yeah. But my memories are two two of the most popular girls in our senior class were out lesbians. Hmm. In 1978. Wow. Uh, and there were a couple of guys guys who were out who were gay and they were they were embraced. They, you know, the guys picked on guys more than the girls picked on the girls. Right. They were popular. Uh, very popular kids in in school. I don't I don't know that that is still the case, you know, in a mm-hmm. lot of schools in Texas. I don't know. I don't live there, but I don't. With all the rhetoric and all the hullabaloo that's going on right now, I, I, I that doesn't feel like Texas to me. Yeah. Uh, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. So to, to go back to your original question, I'm I'm glad I grew up there. I knew from a very young age I would leave, but mm-hmm. not because I hated it. Uh, it was more I, I wanted to see the rest of the world. I wanted to know what was on the other side of the fence. And I was very much um, – I'm, I'm the middle kid and very much the predictable, uh, dependable kid growing up. You know, I made good grades and what have you. But I loved to wander. And I would wander – even as a little kid, I'd go to neighbors' houses and knock on doors and want to talk to them. I just had a, I had a curiosity about what was on the other side of the fence that I knew – as a little kid, I was going to have to satisfy. I could not have settled. I could not have stayed there. I don't think. Right. Let me ask you, you say you just went up to, because I did that. I used to go up to I neighbors. Am? And so I'm curious, like, what would you do? You just started conversations with them? Yeah. And, 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 you know, by a certain age, I knew all the neighbors. Um, <laughs> but I, I had, gosh, it was, there was crazy Miss, uh, uh, Miss Boudreaux who lived behind us and, to a little lady who used to take her teeth out for me and put them on the table. And I just marvel. I, she said, someday you'll be able to do that yourself. But she'd, she'd, give, she'd pour me a, a Welch's grape drink and we'd sit and we would talk for hours. And oh she always had a magnolia in a bowl on, a magnolia flower from her tree on the bowl 
on her next to her couch, and we would just sit and chat for hours. Or the Bosleys across the street would let me sit under their hedge, and because at a certain time of day in their front yard, at a certain time of day, the, the flowers around, but there were pansies and like sunflowers and things around the base of one of their trees. And I used to sit there for hours and watch them change direction as the sun did because their faces would change. I have, I have those kinds of memories and the neighbors tolerated my quirkiness, <laughs> I guess, but that was the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. They yeah. were, they were great people. And, um, That's so I've never heard of a kid doing that outside of me. And it's funny because uh, when my mom took me to California, the first place we moved was Brentwood. Right. And it was the, oh, wow. it was apartments. We were living in an apartment uh, yeah. kind of community, but um, there was, there was a woman who lived across the street from us and, and she was older, maybe in her sixties. And mm-hmm. I used to go hang out with her and drink tea. Same thing. She'd oh, yeah. serve me cookies yeah. and we would just talk. And then, um, I used to hang out with, he was an actor. His name is Regis Toomey. And, huh. uh, he was an older man at the time and he owned an apartment building. And I think his wife had some kind of like dementia or something. But um, I remember he used to let my girlfriend and I swim in the pool and he would make us ice cream, but we would all hang out and talk. Uh, and I was like, I used to do yeah. that. That's so funny. That's so awesome that you did that. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed other kids. I had friends who were kids, but I, I, there weren't a lot in that neighborhood who were my age. I, yeah. I just, gra- I always gravitated to anyone who would want to talk. And I yeah. liked hearing what people had to say uh I would ask them questions, I, and I still feel that way socially. Like I would yeah. prefer to ask questions than than someone ask me, <laughs> which is funny because I'm sitting here right now with you answering questions. But as a kid, and, and I, 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 I still love hearing other people's stories yeah. and learning about them. Um. Anyway, yeah, anyway, I, mean, I, well, I can talk I to- about I, that. I told you this. Um, you told me you have allergies, but I told you before we started talking, <laughs> your voice is so soothing. And it, tr- I mean, isn't it uh, everybody? Doesn't he have a soothing voice? Oh my God. It's very soothing. So, uh, it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice. Again, no. you haven't, you haven't driven with me in traffic yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different story. <laughs> okay. So when, how old were you when you knew you wanted to act? I mean, I d- and then let me just add on to that. Did you recognize your creativity first? Did you realize immediately you wanted to be an actor? How did that all come into play? Nah, it, it's a much longer story, and, and I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. But art, uh, drawing, painting, uh, um, that that was my life as a kid. I lived, um, when I wasn't talking to neighbors, I was draw, drawing on pads of paper because that, that to me was, that was my world. And... I remember sitting down with my dad at, at a very young age and he, my dad was an artist and very, very talented, um, would, would sketch and he would get me sketching. And I, I took to that and that, that really became my entire world and up, up well into high school and, and into college, even at that point in my mind, even though I wanted, I think I'd longed to be on stage, uh, performing. It wasn't, it wasn't until I was a lot older that I got involved in it because in my mind, I was just going to live in Paris and, and die penniless, you know, and, <laughs> but, I, but be very famous after I'm dead, you know, because people <laughs> want my artwork. And I, I, I did have a reputation in school, you know, in, particularly in high school, because I would always place in whatever art contests were going on. Uh, and my art teacher was a great, really great lady, Mrs. Rogers. 
and would send our stuff to you know shows in Houston and Austin wow. and Dallas, et cetera. And I would always place something, you know. Okay. So there was an announcement, you know, congrats, Mark, you know, uh, over the intercom, you know. So people knew me as an artist, and I always yeah. carried my board around with me uh, to draw. Uh, so that that was in my mind. That's just what I was going to do, and it wasn't until. I did a play in high school, a couple of plays in high school, and I loved it. But it was, I felt, what I was, what I felt the most kinship to uh, was, I think, becoming a three-dimensional, becoming an art piece three-dimensionally, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You're kind yes. of bringing a picture to life on stage, and you're filling in these characters' lives. It wasn't the attention I wanted, because I was stuck back in the chorus. <laughs> it was it was the freedom and the license to, A, be someone else, mm-hmm. but also create this pretend picture, which mm-hmm. is what I had grown up doing, you know, drawing stuff, random stuff. Uh, so that, that was my initial, you know, I was a very creative kid, but it was, it was through art that I expressed myself. And it wasn't until I got into college, I think I kind of took it seriously, a little more seriously. I stayed out of, of my second semester of college because my grades were so I was a really good student. I just wasn't ready for college and I didn't get, to go to the art college I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another long story. Um, just couldn't afford it, basically. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the the information in front of me about student loans and grants and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to my hometown college <clears throat> with a scholarship in business. And it wasn't until my uh, second semester I stayed out because my grades just dropped. And I wanted to take a break. And I wanted to draw. And I wanted to do a play, you know, in the community theater. And I did, and I got um, to do a, a Dracula. And oh, wow. um, and I got to play the lead role because the guy who got cast in it had to take, had to take out uh, a couple of performances. So I got to play the lead in this play as an 18-year-old. <laughs> a 19-year-old at that point, I guess. And it was life-changing. I think that's wow. where I began to enjoy the actual attention. Mm-hmm. on stage the 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 folk being the focal point mm-hmm. and it kind of the, my two worlds of drawing and painting and being th- being you know three-dimensional on stage sort of be, kind of blended into each other um but it wasn't until way after college and after because i graduated with a business degree moved to dallas worked for a company uh called rockwell international in dallas in their area um aerospace division um, on the Richardson campus. And uh, two years in the corp- corporate world pretty much was enough for me. And I decided one day, <laughs> and again, it's a much longer story that if I didn't do something at that age creatively, uh, and if I were, if I wasn't bold at 25, 26, I wasn't going to be bold at 45 and 46. <laughs> so it's a much longer story that I'll share over, over, a cocktail sometime but <laughs> quit my job moved to new york become an actor and never look back so wow yeah. and and so okay did you study any particular kind of acting uh no i went to circle in the square theater school which was okay. a two-year like conservatory program right. um at circle in the square theater and it, it really uh, unlike neighborhood or even juilliard for that matter a few other you know, really good schools it, it um they had teachers from working professionals from all over the city and all of them had, they all had different philosophies on acting. So what was, what I found great about it is you may not have 
responded to one philosophy or one technique, you had access to another one. Mm -hmm. and, and they didn't force anyone on you. What they wanted you to do is find what worked for you. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really appreciated that because I found a technique that appealed to me. I don't know if, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it after almost 40 years. I don't know if it worked for me, <laughs> but it appealed to me. And I, I don't think I would want to be any different as an actor than what I'm doing right now. My what, approach what to was it. that technique that appealed to you? Yeah. Which, yeah. which one? Which is, just to be as truthful as possible in any given moment no, because what? it isn't about me. My job, my job as an actor, well, you, you can look at it different ways, but, um, my primary job as an actor is to bring those words to life. It's not to make me look good. It's it's to make the piece look good. You you don't take you don't take Tennessee a role from Williams or or Ibsen or whoever and try to make it all about yourself. Right. You have a responsibility to the playwright and to your your ensemble of actors and the director to create something. Yeah. You're you're part of a whole. You're not. It's not just about you. Right. What what so. technique did you like the most? It, well, my, my guy, my guy at school was Alan Langdon. He just retired a couple of years ago and he, he was a big Stanislavski guy. Okay. Uh, he, uh, but we had Strasbourg people. We had, we, we, you know, we had, we had, uh, the only thing we didn't have access to at the time really was, uh, my, mm. cause That's neighborhood what I had, studied. had kind yeah. of a, a lock on that yeah. neighborhood playhouse. Although we did have some teachers who, studied Meisner we didn't really invest in it we had all different types of, of approaches to it and but Alan Alan Langer really gave me the foundation uh, hmm. because he what he did was I think give you the, the tools or reinforce the tools in you to stand on your own two feet because mm -hmm. you might be caught in a situation where the director doesn't know what they're doing <laughs> or <laughs> or you're stuck in a really awful play and the writing is is, is awful he helped you find the way to make it true and real for yourself because your jobs and my job what i appreciate in other actors is is the truth telling part of it mm -hmm. um i i appreciate style i appreciate method actors when it works but yeah. it, it drives me insane to, to watch an actor chew the scenery <laughs> because <laughs> they're trying to make it about themselves that drives me insane yeah <laughs> yeah, and well, there, there, there are a few out there. If I might, I might add. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, I, I was fortunate in that I studied Meisner. I mean, I never studied oh, any. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I never studied any of the other uh, method acting or any of that. But um, I, I really loved my acting coach, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that particular brand of training, especially yeah. now since I'm not an actor anymore. I do think that it helps. I believe that Meisner, I mean, any form of acting does this, but Meisner in particular helps you to um, basically kind of recognize things in people. You, mm -hmm. you see things yeah. in people. And I, it's like when you become an actor, I, I truly believe it's like studying human psychology, you know? Oh, and, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And real quick, you, you are still an actor. I don't think we're, once, once you're bitten, 
Yeah. And if you're infected, <laughs> I don't think you can ever get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, but, I I will tell you the only thing that stops me from going out and just doing community plays for fun is because mm-hmm. I'm such a fuddy-duddy and I like my home schedule life that I don't want to interrupt uh, it at night. But yeah. outside of that, I mean, I would do it if because I don't I wouldn't give a crap about fame or anything like that or money. Right. It would just be for the fun of it. And I think Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. It is fun. It is it's playing. It's that's oh my play. god! <laughs> that's the that's the real joy in it. Um, is is the is that fun yeah. element that you? I think if you just, I'm not sure how old you were when you discovered you wanted to do it, but it's it's that appeal that never really goes yeah. away. It's it's that little spark that reminds you, oh, this is why I used to. This is why mm-hmm. I do it or mm-hmm. did it. Uh, absolutely. Yes. I still get that tingle, you know, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I Absolutely. mean, it's, it, it can be frightening, you know, if you're going to go out on yeah. stage or something like that. But once you kind of get, I mean, like when I gave speeches out on the lawn of the Capitol, that was uh, frightening in the beginning. But, you know, you get over <laughs> I <imagine>. it. <laughs> but you get over it. And, and the training helps. Acting yeah. really helps. It helps in every, I mean, I had people in my acting class that ha- didn't want to be actors they just mm-hmm. were like lawyers or something and they wanted to right. understand having a presence. So, but I think it really has helped me in everything that I've ever done, including interviewing people because it's just, it is a way to connect with other human beings on a level absolutely. that people don't usually think about. So absolutely. I, I agree I always, 100%. I always, I always appreciated that. Okay. So now we'll get to the part that I want to ask you um, because uh, yeah, I mean, I'm older. I'm going to be 55 in July. So I was boy, older. I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. But I was, yeah, when, you, when, when you said sixties a little while ago, the, the older, there was an older lady in your neighborhood in her sixties. I went, Oh shit. That's me. <laughs> well, I'm I mean, crazy old I mean, man who, who, when I was yelling nine. at kids to get off his lawn. <laughs> oh when I was God. nine, that was older, but you know, now that I'm almost 55, <laughs> but, um, no, I am that woman. Uh, so I was not as young. I wasn't in high school, obviously when I watched 90210, but I watched it like yeah. so many other people in the world and it was influential in my life. And then of course here comes Jesse. And I always, I always, enjoyed that storyline so i have several questions about that i first of all i want to know um how did that the the audition process how did that all happen tell me about the audition process uh it it uh there there are no short stories with me and maybe i just like to talk too much but uh i I like long stories in in a nutshell but there were there were i had just gotten back i was in chicago for a couple years i left la swearing i'd never come back and (laughs) went to chicago and lived there for a while i did theater did some great theater at the goodman and some other places that i'm still near and dear to my heart but i came back to like said something just said you got it you got to go back you just have i I can't even tell you what it was Um, because i i had long since lost the notion that I wanted to be a famous actor. I just wanted to work and I wanted to do some good work mm-hmm. and I wanted to make my health insurance, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And something sparked me to come back. And about three weeks after being back here, I was living out of the back of my uh, 1987 white Toyota pickup truck. <laughs> and I was sleeping on a mattress next to a friend of mine's piano, a borrowed mattress next to a friend of mine's piano in his living room. <laughs> my, my dear friend, Roy Abramson, who is still, still a good friend. And I got this, these two auditions. One was for NYPD Blue, uh, for a, a tattooed gangbanger kind of guy. And I thought, oh, this is, I, you know, I've got a shot at this, you know, because mm-hmm. most everything I went in on was, you know, gangbanger, 
And it was for Junie Lowry, who had seen me for La Bamba many yeah. years prior. So she knew me, and she'd seen me a couple times. So I thought, well, I've got a shot at this. And the other audition was for this show called 90210, which I knew about because you couldn't go to the grocery store and stand in line and not see those kids on the front of every single magazine. So I knew who the, the people were. I had not seen the show at that point. But I'd be standing in line at my Dominic's two blocks away from where I lived in Chicago, and there were these these beautiful young people on this show. Like it's, it's the whitest show on the planet. And <laughs> I knew it was hugely popular, but I was doing theater, and I didn't. The only TV I would see was late night TV on you know my little black and white TV set. So I got these two auditions, and one was for nine hundred two hundred, and I called the agent. I said, "Yeah, what are they? What? What is, what is this?" And he goes, "Well, it's it's for a boyfriend for one of the one of the characters." I said, really? I said, I read, I went and picked up the sides because back then you had to go pick up the sides, mm -hmm. you know, the different offices. And um, I thought, I read it and it was a couple of pages. And I went, oh, this is easy, but gosh, this, there's no way I'm going to get this. There's no way I'm going to get this. <laughs> so I focused all my energy on the NYPD Blue uh, audition, <laughs> which I knew I was going to get anyway because I'm not, I look like Opie Taylor with a tan. I always <laughs> I've got, I've got these ears that, that so, I've gone in on so many drug lords and gangbangers and I've never booked one of them because I don't look that character. Yeah, you don't. But, but, you know, that's, you know, I, you never know if they, maybe they'll bring in for right. something else. But exactly, the boyfriend yeah. on, of a, of the smart girl on 90210, there's no way I'm going to book that. They're going to, they're going to pick one of the, I used to call them the beauty boys, the guys with yeah. the hair, the cool hair. And I'd already started losing my hair at that point. So uh, I spent all my all my time on NYPD Blue, which is at 20th Century Fox. Remember where that is on Pico. Mm -hmm. So I was there, and they were running late. So I called the agent and said, "Well, I'm going to be late uh, to 90210. Can you tell them? Can I? Will they still see me?" And he got back and said, "Yeah, you know, just go directly after your you know your audition. The audition for NYPD Blue went really well, but I was about an hour late getting to the studios for 90210, which were up near Van Nuys, mm -hmm. and." Uh, um, I uh, came in and all the other guys had already gone and the casting director Diane Young was there and she was very patient and very nice to me and we did the scene a couple times and it went really well and I, I actually improvised a, a tiny bit I threw in a couple extra lines just because I thought I was relaxed there's no way I'm going to get it and, mm -hmm. and she was very nice to me and she was you know pleasant and uh, she said at the end of it because that was great you know can you come back and meet the directors later today and I went uh or the, the producers and I said uh, um, uh, sure okay yeah That's okay a hugely uh, good sign yes. yeah <laughs> yeah, well, yeah of course I was and I was staying in my friend in North Hollywood so it wasn't that far so right. I went back showered and put on my best white shirt which had someone else's initials on it because it was a, <laughs> thrift, it was a thrift store shirt you know and my blue jeans and my cowboy boots and uh, <laughs> I went back later that afternoon and and went in there, it was so nice to me. Everyone, but I walked into the room and it was fluorescent lights in, in the room. And there were the beauty boys were there. The, the, <laughs> I had five, ten of these guys with you know 25 inch waistlines and 46 inch chest, and you know, the coolest hair on the planet. And I'm thinking, oh my god, really? There's no way, there's no way, there's no way I'm gonna get this. And uh, so I go in and do the same thing routine with, with the producers and they were again they were so nice there everyone was just so friendly and welcoming you know and it went really well and i got a call um later that day from the agent saying well they want you to go 
meet Aaron Spelling on Monday with a few other people. Wow. But they want you to do another scene. This is a Friday, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So I went and picked up the new scene. I talked to the casting director, and, and uh, I said, uh, you know, okay, cool. I'll <laughs> see you Monday. And I spent the weekend working on it. And at the point, at that time, um, again, I, the, the, the agent thought it was going to be a couple of episodes. Right. And like a handful of episodes. I thought, well, that'd be great. You know, I'm still not going to get it. <laughs> but it'd be great. It'd be great to have it, you know. Have some tape. I did. I only had one other TV gig, so I spent the weekend doing that. Monday comes around, and I go to Spelling's offices on on Wilshire and go in. And a couple of those uh, the those good looking dudes were there, and uh, I walk in, and and I was the first to go in, and I I did what I was told later I was not supposed to do, <laughs> but I walked around the table and shook hands with with uh, Aaron Spelling and it was very nice to me he stood up and he shook my hand and gave me a really good grip because I knew he was from Dallas mm-hmm. from Texas I didn't say you know I did wear my cowboy boots but mm-hmm. I didn't you know I didn't, I didn't go off of the Texas thing but he was very nice to me and there was a, more people there I couldn't even tell you who was there there were probably 10 people there at that point did the scene a couple times left got a call later that afternoon from the agent saying well you, you booked it Wow. And I went, oh, wow, you got to be kidding me. I booked it? <laughs> really? Cool. And he said, well, I'll call you tomorrow and let you know um, how many episodes and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And again, we thought it was maybe two or three episodes of recurring mm-hmm. gig. I didn't know Gabrielle was pregnant. I didn't know anything about what was going on. I just knew that there was a boyfriend involved. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking. Him. I, apparently, the agent didn't either. He calls me the next day and says, are you sitting down? And I went, No. <laughs> You might want to sit down for this. I went, oh shit, they're gonna they're gonna pull the offer or something. He said, no, they want you for two years. I went, what? Wow. You gotta be kidding. He says, well, they want you to be the husband for this, this character. Wow. And I, I and I'm not joking. He's talking. You know, I was used to making a couple hundred dollars a week. You know, doing theater. You know, and even though looking back, the money wasn't necessarily you know the big money people thought it was. It was more money than I'd ever made in my life. And he was on this incredibly popular show that I still needed to watch because I didn't, I had never seen it before. Um, and I, you know, he was talking numbers and things and all this stuff. And then he said to me, you know, what kind of car are you going to get? Cause he knew I drove an 87 Toyota pickup. I said, car, I'm going to buy myself a bed. I haven't owned my own bed since I was 18. I lived off of borrowed beds and futons in New York and couches. And I was on a borrowed mattress at that point next to my friend's piano. I'm going to buy myself a bed and a leather jacket. And those are my two first two purchases I made. Wow. Uh, after I moved, after so I moved cool. into my own apartment. Wow. Uh, and life just changed. And I kept my 87 Toyota pickup for the next year. <laughs> Probably much, much, much to Fox's uh, uh, chagrin, because uh, I would drive that thing up to events, and they would, they finally started sending a car for me, saying, "You got to take our car. We're going to drive a pickup truck." Uh, oh, but wow. I, I would not change. I would not trade that, you know, that adventure for anything. And, and Gab um, was one of the first people I met when I got on the set, and she, any anxieties I might have had about being in the company of these people because they were mega famous at that point. All that anxiety went completely away because Gab, Gab is still one of my, one of my dearest friends and one 
one of the most important people in my life, to be perfectly honest. Hmm. Uh, I, I adore her. And the minute I met her, I knew she gave me a big hug and was excited to, to meet and wanted, looking forward to working. But she she gave me the um, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, all, all the affirmation I needed to show up on set, you know, the next day and, and, and work together. Yeah. And uh, we we worked together really well after that point. We never ever had an issue never like i i i could not i could not have asked for a better situation to walk into <laughs> something of that of that magnitude yeah you know uh because that could have easily have been a nightmare mm-hmm. and there's there are stories that people don't know that are that would curl their hair mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff that was made up mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff that wasn't nearly the depth of what you think it was yeah but it's a lot of young kids who became very famous very quickly mm-hmm. and had a lot of money. And so there were tensions, there were jealousies, there were things mm-hmm. that were going on in the, behind the scenes. But I knew when I showed up to work with Gab that I was safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was all I needed. Right. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah you, you were with her and kind of a part, even though you were included in everything, you had your own storyline. Yeah. So it wasn't wrapped yeah, yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and I adored, I'm like, I loved Luke. Luke. Luke and Jason in particular were, and are, well, Luke is no longer with right. us, sadly, but Jason is still just a rock star. He is just, he's, he is such a good man hmm. and luke was a joy to work with luke was and i had I, I had the opportunity to do multiple scenes with luke and and he i love that guy wow. what a what a good good man yeah his death really hit me hard because oh, he was i mean geez. you know i mean i certainly wasn't a luke super fan but i loved him and i loved the show and you know he's yeah. my age you know and it was weird yeah. to yeah. say oh okay now people my age are dying of heart attacks that was yeah. really upsetting and if you had known him you would have you would have loved him he yeah. was the most generous um just a good dude, a good man, and a really, really, really great actor. I think yeah. I, he did not get the recognition I think right. he deserved. Um, not only on, well, I mean, he got recognition on the show, uh, but for being a star, not for right. his, for for his, his acting. Yeah. work as an actor. I think you go back and see some of this stuff, and he's he just he's amazing. He really is. he was an amazing, amazing actor, and uh, I don't know anyone who didn't love him. Well, no, no, I know, I know a few people he, he had difficulties with, let's put that right. way, but well, that's anyone who knew him and liked him, loved him. Well, and I think that, you know, I mean, he probably just never had that one role. Like, for instance, I don't know if you've seen White House Plumbers, but, no. ju- oh my God, okay, it's not the best show, it's good. Huh. It's good. It's on. I believe I can't remember where it is. HBO, but it's it's about the Watergate situation, right? And Ooh. it's Woody Harrelson and Justin Theroux. And Justin Theroux plays G. Gordon Liddy. And I don't know huh. now. There was Gaslit with Julia Roberts that came out last mm-hmm. year, and there was another guy who played Liddy, and he was so great. He, you know, and I thought no one is going to be able uh. to top this Liddy. Well, I got to say, Theroux topped it because. The the gaslit version, although I loved it, was slightly more caricaturish. And oh. I think th- now, like for instance, with Thoreau, and this is the point I'm making about Luke Perry, is that you know, I mean, I've seen Justin in a lot of different roles, but in this role, he shined. This is where everybody oh. got to really see his talent. And um, I think you know, Luke. I, I don't. I mean, I haven't seen everything Luke Perry was in, but I think that you know 
the the 90210 thing like you said that was like his fame and all of that yeah. that wasn't all about his amazing talent and so i don't yeah. know that he ever had the opportunity to showcase that's the problem with uh at least that's what i feel is the problem one of the problems with hollywood is that you know i mean you can have all these wonderful actors and you know in my experience i got to say things like um, you know, somebody's on the phone for you, Captain, or you know, <laughs> something right. like that. So I never really got to showcase my talent. I got yeah. to showcase it in my acting studio, but I never really got to showcase it in, you know, in any other. I mean, occasionally, I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story because it reminds me. Mine was the opposite, though, of your experience because I was I had an audition. Um, I'm trying to remember when I was in my acting studio, eventually what we did was we went over into the professional level. We graduated and then we would invite casting directors and agents and right. stuff like that. So they would give us scenes and then if they liked what we did there, they would call us in for auditions. So of course all these casting directors said, you know, we never forget anyone we like, blah, blah, blah. So, oh. um, they, one of those guys calls me in and I get, I get, um, if it was for VIP, the Pamela Anderson, stupid show oh, back yeah. then but i was told to i was going to be a ru like a russian um ice queen and <laughs> and i used to of live you are. <laughs> i used to live in russia so i and i'm oh, really right. good at accents so i'm like okay i've got this down and i i go into the room and it's filled with all these like or the audition room all these women who look just like pamela anderson and then there's me nothing like pamela anderson and so I'm actually feeling really confident, thinking, okay, I've got the edge here. So I go in and I say to the casting director, would you like for me to do a Russian accent? And he's like, well, only if you can really do an authentic one. And I'm like, <laughs> step aside. So I, I, do my, I do the role and he, you could see the look on his face was like, oh she's good so he says he says could you could you come back and meet the producers in a couple hours and i was like sure no problem so i go downstairs and i was like in the wilshire area and i'm in my car and i was literally like reading the thomas map book and oh, just yeah. like in russian you know like in russian accent so i i go back up and and it's like me in a room with maybe five to six men producers they're all sitting <laughs> down and i'm like in front of all of them and so I do my audition and I'm not even kidding. They all stood up and applauded me. And huh. then I never heard from them again. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so that oh, was, that was a totally different experience. Yeah. That's, but I mean, <laughs> you walk out feeling like, okay, I, I, I nailed it. I yeah. nailed it. I'm, I, I'm going to get this. Uh, yeah. And it was like, oh, no, or even if, even if I don't get this now, he knows that yes. I'm good. Never right. got called in ever again. Oh, I mean, the, the producers applauded me and it was like, okay, fine, whatever. So, uh, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Well, you I, can't, I mean, <laughs> you can be if you want to be, but it right. doesn't do you any good. No, it doesn't. And uh, it was like, it yeah, pisses me off. I learned a long time ago when I walk out of a room, if I felt really good about something, that's all you can feel good about. Right. Because I book, I walked out of rooms where well, that was amazing. And yeah. Never heard from someone again. Yeah. And I walked out of a room going, okay, that was sucked. I, there's <laughs> no way. Like I flub lines and I stop, whatever. And you book it. Right. You, don't, you just don't know. You don't know. Yeah. What they're looking for. Exactly. Um, exactly. And yeah, I mean, no I don't know. Clue. I don't know what they were looking for for the VIP role. But I mean, and of course I went on auditions plenty. I mean, I was actually called in to be on Third Rock from the Sun and I oh. knew that I wasn't going to get cast because I'm six feet tall and 
I, there was no way that the, I, I did two auditions straight to producer. And um, I think one was where I was going to play the, the girlfriend of, oh, I can't think of his name, but he was like the real quirky one. They're all quirky, but like the, the quirky Fr- French, French. Yes. And I thought they're never uh, going to, they're never going to book yeah. me as his girlfriend. It's never going to happen. And then of course they didn't, they booked someone who looked tiny and I'm not tiny and cute. And I'm like, I'm not tiny and cute. And so, um, and then the other one was, I was, I auditioned to be, it was going to be the waitress who tells Kristen Johnston, who her character that, uh, who's complaining about men. I say something like, don't worry, honey, there's other fish in the sea. And I thought they're going to hire an older lady. And what did they do? They hired an, they're not going to hire somebody who's like the same category of Kristen Johnston to deliver that line. So I knew I wasn't going to book it, but I mean, I was flattered because I got called straight to producer, but you right. know, then they never called me back. So that's the way it went for me. But you know, yeah. uh, you know I mean, I, it's all you're, 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 it's, it's a constant, <clears throat> pardon me. It's a constant game of roulette. Yes. And that's why I look at it. You, you go in, you do it. There's certain things I, I turn down now. Just I, I won't go in on, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I'll, I'll audition for pretty much anything. And, and cause you never know. Yeah. And it is a game of roulette and you never know. You may not get something, but if you, if you make an impression, they may very well bring you back in on something else that, that right. is because my, cause our yeah. job, my job is looking for work, mm-hmm. getting the job yeah. and doing the work. That's a piece of cake. That's, that, that is the cake. Uh, paying my bills on time is also the cake, but, right. <laughs> but my job is looking for work. Yeah. That is an actor's job. Professionally. Wow. Yeah, uh, it totally is. What would you say, what would you say has changed since reality TV became so big? I, how has the industry changed? Because when uh, I was doing it, there was no reality. I mean, there was, um, there was real world and that was it. I don't, I, I, that's probably, that's probably another cocktail conversation. Because that's, <laughs> that is, I, I, I do not, I do not like reality TV. I don't, my sister is an addict, uh, knows everything <laughs> about everyone on reality TV. <laughs> Uh, and I adore my sister, don't get me wrong, but I think reality TV has contributed to the decline of society. <laughs> I agree like everyone, with you. I think everyone <laughs> I sees I themselves somebody. in, and there's nothing, as you know, nothing that real about reality TV. Right. They're scripted, they mm-hmm. are manipulated, they are, mm-hmm. they're produced in order to create maximum effect with what they're trying, yes. to, trying to do, whether it's Survivor or whether it's the bachelorette or, or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever reality show they're going for conflict and they will create conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I, but I think what it's done is it's, it's entitled people to behave badly. Wow. Um, yeah. you know, I think people watch it and they, they associate with that. Whereas I think scripted TV or scripted films and, you know, you might see you admire something in an actor or a performance, that you may emulate in your real life, but mm-hmm. you're not going to feel entitled by it. Mm-hmm. I think if that makes any sense, No, it does. that's not yeah. necessarily changing it. The industry's changed because they realize real, you can make reality TV, you know, on a one, one hundredth the budget of a scripted right. TV show yeah. and you can make 10 times the profit. So that changed TV quite mm-hmm. a bit, but I was hoping that someday reality would burn out and people would realize what you want is good storytelling again. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's missing in a, a, in a lot of scripted TV now, even though there's a plethora of, there's a, mm-hmm. you know, an abundance of it everywhere. It's still the rare show that, that 
gets you and yeah. tells you the story that you may need to hear that day or that mm-hmm. night, or whatever. Uh, and storytelling is something that's been lost. And you, you're not going to get storytelling in reality TV. No. That's, that's not the point of it. No, it just tri- um, it, it triggers your anger. Shock. <laughs> yeah, shock, and and it triggers yeah. your anger. And um, right. I mean, I I will admit that I do watch the only ones that I well I watch two shows, and one of them I just think it's incredibly fascinating. It's called oh God, it's the Roloffs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Little People, no. Big World. Um, oh, it's, it's, my it's, sister watches. She loves. She loves. I do, the, and I mean, it's it, called Little People, correct? Yeah, Little People, Big yeah. World. Yeah, so it's like little but people right. who right. have a, a pumpkin farm. And actually, my boyfriend introduced me to this show. I had never seen it. And mm-hmm. it's actually kind of fascinating. And I will say the good thing about this show, though, is when you are, are all the time when you're watching little people, it's no longer a new it's not different. It just it normalizes, yeah. you know, yeah. so I think that's a good thing because it's like I've been watching them now for so long and it's like you just get so used to them and and then they you know and they explain what it's like to be a little person and right. why it's harder from you know i mean like my boyfriend is six four and i'm six feet so wow. we have issues especially him when we're flying um you know oh, it's like right. his yeah, his legs yeah. are fucking so long <laughs> and um i mean he gets cramped up and so it's uh, like but he's like but nobody ca- nobody cares when the tall person complains <laughs> right. you know um but but it's fascinating but and i also watch and i know it's terrible but i can't help myself it's it's like a soap opera but i like certain versions of the real housewives which i know are absolutely <laughs> terrible but it's like a soap opera <laughs> i know i know but i can't really? help it's like my fritos you know so hey look I, I i go into all this politics all the time i need some junk food that's my junk food um yeah. how would you oh. how would you say the industry has changed since covid uh, oh, well, uh, I mean, COVID changed every industry probably. Yeah. But, um, uh, it, well, but the biggest, the biggest change has been, um, the, the fact that, that there are no in-person auditions or very, very few. I haven't had an in-person audition in, since before lockdown. It's all self tapes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as a, as an actor, as, as a professional, most of my skill set is based on, being able to walk into a room, mm-hmm. read a room, get a gauge on what they're looking for mm-hmm. and try to fill that in. In other words, you can get a script and a breakdown or sides and a breakdown. It'll tell you this is what the character is, but that's not always what they're looking for. Yeah. What they're, what you can walk in and ask a casting director, you know, uh, to, to take you for notes to, mm-hmm. so I could do it again. Cause mm-hmm. my, my thing is you walk in back in the old days when there were in person audition, I'd walk in they would ask if you have any questions. I would say, no, I, I'd like to just do it and then take some notes. Mm-hmm. This is this is my thoughts. I'll take some notes. And even that part was informative. Um, and either they gave you notes or they didn't. But right. when they give you notes, and especially if it's a producer session, you walk in, they realize you are malleable. You are mm-hmm. amenable. You are an easy yeah. guy to work with. You actually show up and know your lines. Mm-hmm. And you're pleasant. So mm-hmm. that in itself makes you hireable. Right. So you might get a gig, you might get a, a job over someone who might be a better actor, but he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> right. Who comes in and is a, is a bit of a dickhead. They know they're not gonna. They, they may not want to hire that guy because yeah. he's gonna be a pain in the ass. Right. You walk in and and you again, my skill set's built around being able to kind of read a room. Yeah. And and interpret what they're saying and deliver. 
and that that's completely gone with self tapes now. I, I I I don't even know. I I booked a couple of things, but my the, my last really big gig was a year ago. I, I did a, an NBC series called The End Game, which I am infinitely pl- proud of. Hmm. It's still available on Amazon, by the way. But they they only they didn't renew it for a second season. But that was a Zoom audition, and for wow. the first time in a year, I felt it almost felt like you were back in a room. Mm-hmm. You were able to crack a joke. You were able mm-hmm. to ask for notes. You were able to ask for direction, and I miss that. I yeah. really miss that in person. Uh, component because even on a set with all the cameras and all the people and all the poking and prodding you're still in an environment where you are receptive and delivering mm-hmm. uh, information and that you don't get that with self-tape at all you know? yeah I can imagine I know I just had Bruno Amato he's an actor and he was saying mm-hmm. how much he hates them and I've seen Kirk Acevedo um, on Twitter complaining about them I can't even I would hate that I would hate that so I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are aspects of it that are not bad. I wish there was a middle ground, but there right. isn't. Uh, because you can tape at home. Yeah. They give you a little bit more time to do it. That's you true. can do it yeah. on your own schedule. You don't have to sit in the, you don't have to drive out to uh, Traffic, uh, uh, yeah. Calabasas, yeah. you know, <laughs> in rush hour traffic for Santa Monica. And you can do 10 takes and finally get mm-hmm. one that works. Mm-hmm. But you still you're you're missing the other part of it. I would yeah. rather take my chances walking into a room and flub a line or two, but get the character in front of them. Right. Um, well, and that makes so sense. Yeah. I do miss that a lot. Wow. Um, do you are you are you only acting or do you like do you write anything or do you have any other kind of interest that you're yeah, working on? I mean I write a little bit. I'm not, I don't I, I write for my own I write for my own pleasure. I don't mm-hmm. write screenplays or or uh, I'm not trying to pitch ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. I write, I wrote, I've written a novel and I'm work, I've been working on it for 20 years and it's, it is the most fun for me. And, and creatively, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago when there were no auditions at all, uh, it saved my ass many, many times because it was a place to go and be creative. Yeah. Cause as an actor, you can't just go out and do a monologue in the middle of the street and get attention. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get hit by a car, you know? Uh, but you can, as a writer, you can, come back and create this world and it's like it's a lot like drawing for me was as a Mm five-year-old i could create the world i wanted Mm -hmm. and i understand my oldest daughter's a writer and she's so talented she really she's even as a 10 year old she wrote much better than i did (laughs) um much more facile um but you're always having to pull her from the clouds she's always dreaming she's so (laughs) lofty and dreamy and uh (laughs) I, I get it. I get why you want to disappear and, and write mm-hmm. words and create things. Uh, yeah. That's, I mean, absolutely. I ha- I stopped writing. I, you know, I was writing for a long time and then I just mm-hmm. stopped. I got kind of burnt out on it, especially uh, specifically politics, you know, and um, I was <sighs> writing, that's where I got my start. Although I have to say, no, I, I can't, I can't say that. I actually did start with, and this is when I met you. It was because I had created a Facebook page and I was pitching my book, The Virgin Diaries, with my mom. Right. And um, but that I mean that was a book where we collected stories. And then I wrote a book. I wrote a book about voting. And then I wrote a book about teen pregnancy. Um, and I have to say, uh. when I wrote a book, when I wrote that book called Peyton's Choice, it was kind of based. Um, the the backdrop of it was my life as a teenager growing up in Torrance, California, and like the beach town. And it, it I. I can't even describe how 
amazing it was. That was the most fun I ever had <laughs> writing because I took from real life, but I, of course, embellished and I made, you know, I, I made a, I created a whole story. And right. in my mind, it was almost like it was just playing out and I was typing it. And so it was, it was a catharsis for you. Yeah. You, you, you were processing your yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like yeah. it wasn't like I had to sit there and go, okay, now what's going to happen? It was just happening in front of my eyes, and I was huh. recording it, and yeah. so yeah. it was. It was. I mean, and again, you know, it was somewhat based on my life, but so I did take some pieces of truth, but most of it was just for the story. And I mean, it was, it was the most intoxicating thing I've ever done. Uh. You know, <laughs> so and I but don't you'll do, know. You'll do it again. I yeah? will. I will at some point, but I need. <clears throat> In fact, there is a story right now that I feel like it might happen, but I'm afraid to write it because it's really, it, it, I, I have a tendency to, um, <laughs> I'm very descriptive in my mind, and it would, it would be a scary story, and it would, be about, it would be about a scary man, and I'm afraid to kind of go there. And I think that's what's stopping me, because I could, I, the, the scenarios that I could come up with are so um, horrible. And, right. you know, I don't know if I want to go there, but that's the thing that's pressing in my you mind right now. Go, go there, go there, because fear, <laughs> fear only has the power we give it. Exactly. Fear, fear only has the power You're we right. do it with. It. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't. Well, I mean, I look, we, um, how many times I'm trying to think of the right, right way to say this. I can't tell you how many times people have said. Uh, wow, I'd be I'd be so afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, fuck it, you yeah. can't be afraid. I mean, no, fear I know, is, is I important know. because fear protects you at right. times from certain from certain situations. And um, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, climb up Mount Everest. Um, uh, I, I'm not. There's certain things I probably won't do. Maybe it's fear based. I don't know. But fear in your daily life or fear of your emotional world is only going to imprison you. And You're it right. only has the power that we give it. Yeah. Uh, and, and until you until you stand up to your fears, you'll never you'll never get over it. Um, and oh man, write write the story about the scary dude, because um, <laughs> then they become much smaller. Right. Well, they, I think it's like the, it's like go, you, you know, have control over them. You know, it's very true. And I would, and I think that I think the thing that scares me is that it would be so dark. You know, and I would be living in that wow. dark place as I was writing it. Because, like right. for instance, I did. I remember one time when I worked in pain in my acting studio right and it was like okay today i'm gonna i'm gonna i mean i didn't only one day work in pain but like the first day that i ever really tackled pain and mm -hmm. um so we did it i you know i created an exercise and i created a scenario in my head that was extremely upsetting for me and so for the entire day i was prepping you know like my class was at seven o'clock at night but all throughout the day i would go to the scenario that i created to kind of bring myself into this mo like mode of you know feeling pain and, 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 and crying and all of this. And so I go up, it's my turn. I do the activity and I, you know, I cry and I do it. And then when I was finished, I was surprised that I was still depressed. 
and I was depressed huh. throughout the entire day. And it was funny because oh, yeah. I, I interviewed Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, I think in 2019, and I, I told him about that. I'm like, how do you get out of really difficult head spaces when you have to play a role of a you know person that's bothered or upset or whatever? And so you know he he's like you know as a coach I would take your hand and I would you know tell you that it's okay. And I just remember though that after doing that activity that I did and sitting in you know my chair when it was all over, I mm -hmm. still just wanted to cry. So that's yeah. what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't know if I'm ready to put myself in that psychological space because it's really dark, but I could, I know I could tell the shit out of the story because my yeah. mind is so, I mean, I can come up with some crazy ass scenarios. So we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I know at some point I'm going to write, I don't know if it's going to be this story per se. And the funny thing is this, it's based on a man who I met online right around the time that I met you. And huh. he wrote a book and he wanted me to read it and, and, you know, tell him what I thought. He wanted me to praise him. And it was a terrible, it was terrible. It was, he was so full of himself. <laughs> it was oh. like, but, yeah. but that experience, it was like, he would make a great villain, you know? And so I just, I don't know. It's been in my head now for a long time. So we'll see what, if it ever comes to play. A narcissist, a narcissist, a narcissistic villain. Really? <laughs> Really? Please note the sarcasm, by the way. Really? Yes, the narcissist. We don't. We don't have enough of those around right now. Oh well, that see, that's the other thing. But I think one of the things that he did that really makes it for me was he when he sent me the uh, the screenplay or the novel, whatever. Um, he incorporated music, and so he sent me CDs that he made. So you're supposed to listen to certain CDs while you're reading this. Now I didn't read the entire thing. I read some of it and I thought it was pretentious and up, up his own ass and all that. But the music was excellent. His music choices were excellent and they were all in the eighties. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to steal that idea. Somehow I'm going to incorporate that music and you know, I'm going to steal that from him. I won't steal the story. And I don't even remember what the story was about. Well, you're not really stealing it. You're right. borrowing it. Borrowing it and taking it. I'm inspired <laughs> by it. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the last question. Do it. The last, Just do it. <laughs> the last question I have for you is what do you do to keep yourself entertained in between jobs and all and, and the, with the crazy politics and all the going on? How do you stay sane and uh, stay happy? Now? Mm -hmm. now? Now, you mean? Yes. Nowadays? Nowadays? <laughs> yes. Um, well, because it's changed. I used to play tennis, and tennis was always that, that was my sport growing up. Yeah. Another long story. <laughs> but it, it, it became therapy, hitting something really hard for an hour mm -hmm. and running around for an hour in the hot sun just was a way to cleanse your brain, you know? Yeah. Uh, I can't play tennis anymore because I injured my right arm. Oh. Um, to the point where I can't play tennis, but, but I, I, when I spend time with the girls, my, it, it is truly one of those moments where nothing else matters. Yeah. And they take me out of whatever bad mood. I can never leave them in being in a bad mood. Yeah. Um, um, I, I work a lot in the garden. I bought myself mm -hmm. a friend of mine taught me how to use a jigsaw. So I'm building shit everywhere. <laughs> I am addicted to chopping wood. <laughs> so I spend time in the garden. I spend time with my dog, spend time with the partner. I spend time with the life. I, uh, I find that for me, for me, private quiet time is really important. Yeah. Me People too. get a fix out of being 
social, going out to dinner, going mm-hmm. out to bars, whatever. They they need that. And I need some of that every once in a while. But for yeah. me, to recharge my battery, I need to be alone. Mm-hmm. I need to be alone. I need to empty out. I need to repeat the mantras that I've utilized since I was a little, little kid to keep me sane. Because mm-hmm. the world the world's only gotten scarier in my yeah, mind. It has. I, I, yeah, I, I, if you'd have told me where we would be dealing with Ukraine I know. and Putin and, and the current, our, our, our current political environment, if you had told me that 20 years ago, I would have thought you were out of your mind. Exactly. Like, there's no way. I, I only saw optimistic bright lights ahead of us. Yeah. And now we've got this shit to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, when, when are we going to, when are we going to grow up mm-hmm. uh, as a society? And so I I need my mantras. I need my private time more now than ever because I'm worried as f all yeah. about the world we're leaving behind for my daughters, yeah. but for kids, for the people who deserve a much better world than what, what mm-hmm. we're screwing up massively right now. Yes, uh, it it is mind boggling, and to think that we're going <laughs> so far backwards politically. Particular, particularly for, for women right now and for minorities, uh, and that there's even a question about the Voting Rights Act. Right. Yeah, I, what? What? And this yeah. trans, anti-trans legislation. What? Are you are you people that? It's unreal. Did, where did you did you even grow up? Where did you get <laughs> no, this? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And, and it's my own naivete, perhaps, but. I thought there would be an evolution and what we're devolving at this point. Yeah. And um, so all I have to say that I, I spent a lot of time in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what that, I think we have that in common because I'm my boyfriend also is, we're very solitary and you know, it's funny mm-hmm. because COVID while being incredibly upsetting for <laughs> so many reasons, um, yeah. you know, on a personal level, I was okay with kind of hiding away from the world. And especially because and my poor listeners having to listen to talking fucking I talk about this all the time on my <laughs> on my um, patrons only show. But I'm gonna be in a wedding, my sister's getting married in August and I have to fit into a dress and I gained a whole bunch of weight because I started taking hormone replacement therapy and oh. I gained all this weight and, and I, you know, as an a- I was an actress and I'm vain and all that shit. So <laughs> it's like I got heavier and COVID happened and I just wanted to hide from the world. So it did give me an excuse to do that. And and it's funny though because I stopped taking the uh, the estrogen that was making me fat, and but the fat didn't start really falling off. A little bit came off, but you know, I, I guess I, I guess I could say I was half-assing it. What what worked huh. what worked for me in my younger years no longer does. So you know, when I I put this dress on at the end of April, and I was I was fucking horrified i was like oh my god and so um instead of Uh, feeling like the victim i thought okay this wedding is happening for me it's a kick in my ass to finally lose this weight and the estrogen is no longer keeping the weight on so i've just started this whole workout routine and it's funny because i'm i'm kind of like getting to a place where i want to start i want to go somewhere now (laughs) like i haven't really been anywhere for a while you want to be out in the world you want a little bit moving around yeah just a little bit and then i want to come run back uh, home because just like uh, you i i refuel i'm very solitary i can entertain myself all the time <laughs> and you know but it's like I, i'm at the point now 
where I absolutely need to get out. In fact, I don't know if you know who Brian Karam is, but he's a White House reporter, and I'm so excited because he he plays in a band around town where I live. And so I'm going to, you know, I think it's in October he's going to be playing. And so I'm going to try to get a group of people who listen to um, Stephanie Miller. She's got a political. Oh, I love yeah. Stephanie Miller. So, yeah. and there's like all people in my county, you know, there's a whole bunch yeah. of them. And so like, I want to get them all together and we can all go. And it's going to be slightly frightening because I still feel cautious about COVID, but it's like I'm getting to the point now where I just, I need to like have a couple drinks and let loose, you know? Yeah, yeah, yes. Because <laughs> I've been hiding from the world and now, you know, Do hiding it. behind my microphone. But it was just such a fun, this was such a fun chat. I'm not surprised. Um, like I Ooh. said, I always like admired you from just being uh, friends with you on Facebook. I've, I always admired the way, like I said, that you talk about your daughters. You seem like such a sweet, loving kind of guy. So I'm not at all surprised it was fun talking to you, but it was absolutely fun talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but vice versa. Thank, thanks for letting me ramble and oh, I love it. <laughs> meander because it's, it's uh, again, there are no short stories with me, sadly. They're, they're like everything. Everything's got detours and uh um ins and outs and because i i don't i i am not a linear guy in that yeah. respect i look <laughs> at my life i look at the graph of my life yeah this first 60 almost 63 years and i think wow wow really <laughs> like for such a for such a quiet kid it's been a really bizarre crazy yeah incredible life yeah i'm a lucky lucky man <laughs> and you're just so wonderful and we love you. So um, I'm <laughs> you. so grateful that you, Back at you. Oh, thank you. And I'm so grateful <laughs> that you gave me some time today. But before I let you go, please tell everybody where to find you. Uh, well, you can you can find the end game on uh, um, on Amazon Prime, I do believe. And it's a great it's a t uh, 10 episode uh, show. And it's a lot of fun. It's uh, Justin Lin directed the pilot. <laughs> uh, the create the creators of the show just have a, this genius concept. It takes place over the course of seven, ten days, and uh, uh, Marina Baccarin is in it. And she's a, just absolutely amazing, and and uh, Ryan Michelle Bath is in it. Uh, but they're the two leads. They are they are amazing. It's it's a lot of fun, and I get to wear some really nice ass suits. Oh man, <laughs> it's it, and it was my dream job. I played a, wow. a somewhat a cranky boss wearing really nice suits and uh <laughs> had a blast you can do that but I, i'm on instagram and and uh, i don't tour around with facebook so much anymore but i'm on instagram and that's about the that's about the only social media that i do that got kicked off twitter sadly you did uh, for what reason i did Why? i did i got kicked off i apparently matt gets didn't like being called drunky mcdrunky and i told <laughs> mitch mcdonald to fuck off one of one too many times i guess and apparently i apparently i was i was i this is this is what got me finally kicked off was uh uh and i had very strict rules about my twitter behavior i did no no body shaming right uh i, I only comp i only trolled a few people uh but it was i would only ever really point out hypocrisy unless i was talking about animals anyway <laughs> but apparently charlie charlie kirk doesn't like being called the village idiot that was what got me <laughs> put it off and i apparently i incited violence uh, oh really one. wow yeah I, I guess i was more of a danger than steve bannon was you know asking for people to be right. taken out exactly. at uh, dawn it's all you or Mark. you know 
apparently. Dangerous so. Mark Damon Espinosa. Oh my so God. So dangerous. So dangerous. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But of course, that's the way it goes. Well, that's the way it goes. I am on Twitter. I am author Kimberly L E Y on Spoutable. I'm Kimberly Johnson L E Y. My books are on Amazon. Mark, it was awesome talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kimberly. All right. You take care. Bye bye. Same to you. Zoe.